Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. I've been uh, doing this uh, series on different principles of um, how we can awaken joy that are based on the the course that I teach, the the ten month course, and going through the ten principles uh, one week at a time. Uh, and this week, I switched around the the order so that uh, next week, what would have been next week's topic, uh, we'll talk about tonight, just because of what's happened in the news uh, with with Burma. Uh, the uh, the topic is um, expressing our compassion as a, a source of happiness and joy. And uh, it's, I, I had since I'm writing also about this topic. It, it was interesting, not interesting. It was to me is interesting to see all of these books I pulled out. Oh, there was a stack of about maybe ten different books on compassion, plus a number of journals and articles and stuff like that. And I was digesting them all, um, and I don't know quite what I'm going to say. Uh, it was just so many things, uh, but I, I felt rather than I have a few things I want to share. But rather than um, giving a, uh, a formal, prepared talk, I wanted to just explore it together uh, with you. Have you been following what's going on? How many people have been watching or seeing? Yeah, it's hard not to. You know, it's so, um, it boggles the mind. Especially after the people in Burma have gone through so much. I actually, I looked at, a, I gave a talk, I don't know when it was, like six or seven months ago, whenever, on uh, how, to, how to hold it all. And that was about Burma uh, eight months ago, whenever. Just how do you... How do you keep your heart open in the face of all the the suffering when it's it's so far away and there's not that much you can do other than maybe a vigil and sending in your your money and uh, giving to organizations like People's Foundation of of Burma, a foundation for people of Burma. Um, And then on top of that, for those people to go through such unbelievable devastation. Mm. So I first want to ask you a little bit to um, share your own responses. Just go inside. Maybe you haven't thought about it other than, oh my God, how awful that is. But just go inside a little bit deeper. You know, you've heard the news, you've 
seen articles in the papers or whatever. And get in touch with all the different feelings that might have come up for you or that are here now, maybe underneath the initial or obvious one of disbelief and and uh, initial mind-boggling response. Just notice all the different feelings that are there. Perhaps there's some really hard ones to get in touch with and maybe there are other ones that are heart ones to get in touch with. Let's just uh, take a few responses. What goes on for you when you when you've been hearing the news, or when you think about what's what's happening over there? And uh, here, Ricardo, can you pass it back to Jill? I'm way in the back. I think of. 9/11 and yeah right to your mouth yeah I think of Katrina I think of Bangladesh mm-hmm. um and I want to drop everything and go with Red Cross and be there and help mm-hmm. it's not really practical mm-hmm but that's what comes up for me. Because mm-hmm. right. I'm a nurse. I can do things. Mm-hmm. And you've gone to Africa a few times to, yeah, to be but on not, the front lines. not yeah. in the devastation. Yeah. We haven't been back to Kenya since yeah. the elections, for instance. Mm-hmm. Okay. You just want to drop everything and go there. But you can't, so then what comes up? Well, I continue to volunteer here at the Red Cross mm-hmm. and do what I can. Mm-hmm. For the local mm-hmm. catastrophes, house mm-hmm. fires and apartment fires and so forth. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you. What else? Yeah, over there. Thanks, Ricardo. My name is Diana, and I've been to Burma twice, once as a traveler in the 70s and once on business in the 80s. And it made such an impression on me. The people were so wonderful, and it was such a wealthy country as far as resources go. But even in the 70s and the 80s, it was very obvious the military influence where people were terrified and it's only gotten worse since then. And when I heard the news of this, it just it's like any major experience you've had in your life becomes 
internalized, becomes part of you. So I was very touched and very upset when I heard the news. And I think one of the reasons what I wanted to hear tonight, James, as you said, you had some suggestions for how to um, deal with something so massive and so far away, and we can't do anything but send money or prayers or... Um, and a friend of mine in Pennsylvania just suggested being in touch with people, small things in your own community, in your own world. And so I've been, um, I have a neighbor who's going through treatment for lymphoma. And so I've been bringing meals to her mm-hmm. and helping out a, a immigrant neighbor. And that makes me feel better but it's a one-on-one kind of thing, but it still bothers me. This, I mean, Burma is just one of so many things going on in the world that are so, but it becomes a burden after a while. There's just so much horror going on out there. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to suggestions. (laughs) Well, you, you, uh, you are doing one main suggestion, which is being with your friend. Because uh, uh, Angie uh, Arian, who's this wonderful, wise teacher, uh, says, uh, action absorbs anxiety. That uh, if you're stuck, just what to do, uh, and you feel helpless, um, then you feel helpless and stuck. But if you can put that caring into action, a lot of times in, in, uh, in, in Buddhist practice, you do an action, a wholesome action, and dedicate the merit of that wholesome action for the welfare of, of others, somebody or some people. So you doing what you're doing with your friend is a, is a, is one of the most significant things that you can do. And you might have the added conscious um, directing of merit by the merit, of whatever merit through this, through this action of, of kindness, uh, may it be for the welfare of people in Burma uh, as well as your friend. That's, that's a really good one. So... But hopefully we'll come up with some some others. Thank you. Anyone else? Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Um, I'm Ariana. Um, probably not the only one, but it doesn't feel real to me. I've seen some of the footage and read some, but it still doesn't really sort of sink in and feel real. And it reminded me of this thing I'd heard, it was actually in relation to Iraq, but I think it's kind of universal that for most of us it's easier to care about one person's death than 100,000 deaths, which seems counterintuitive, but I guess it's having to do with it's easier to care for one person that you know something about. And so it started to sink in a little bit when I saw a photograph of a corpse, you know, because then it was, okay, here's one person who died, and 
then I started thinking, wow, multiply that by, you know. <laughs> and just so big, it's hard to take in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. That's where the, uh, you know, the politicians, they can be talking in broad brushstrokes and they give one story. And there was Martha Jones in Scranton, Pennsylvania, who, and all of a sudden, the heart connects and, and you're moved. And it's true. Every one of those, however, tens of thousands, hundred thousand people, is a story. And the, the, the mind and the heart almost can't take it in. It's so big. I um, was just thinking about this, how life changes so quickly. I mean, the way you think your life is and the world you live in, second one, next second, completely different. And that's what's happened for those folks, and it could happen for us. And it just seems like, you know, like that's a point about life that's very always true, and we're just seeing this huge example of it. Mm-hmm. And then I guess another thought too was, I don't know, but I suspect it may be a consequence of global warming, which which is which which they, you know, the U.S. and other countries are primarily responsible for, assuming that, you know, all our emissions are causing all these environmental effects. So you know, you have this this cycle of situation a situation where these folks are paying prices for activities done. Mm-hmm that they have no involvement in themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so those are mm-hmm. some of my thoughts. Thank you. So two things. One, the, uh, the fragility of life, as, as Alan Watts says, the wisdom of insecurity, how in any moment your life can change, and it could be here for us too. That's, that is how any moment our life does change, and every moment it's a possibility. And also uh, a cause and effect, um, and particularly my mind went to global warming as well. You know, when I when you when you think of um, probably most of you saw it being a, a Berkeley crowd, inconvenient truth, and uh, and the possibilities of who knows what in the next few decades or this century, if the degrees go up four or five or whatever, that this could be something that happens uh, that's not a rarity. You know, just, now, just for a moment, I don't want to completely freak you out, but uh, just for a moment, how would, how would the mind hold that? It is a possibility. They say it's a possibility. How do you hold that? Not just one person or one one little area, but the world as we know it could possibly change. The Dalai Lama says, "World systems come and go." You know, that's that's like seeing the very big picture. So it's like it's it stretches your mind. Hmm. William, yeah, um, you speak right into that. Yeah, yeah um, real close. That um, that amidst all this, 
um, there's still a place of equanimity, as you mentioned earlier, in that, um, and I, I debate I should even mention this because I don't know if it's useful, but here it is, that uh, nothing happens accidentally. And that, yes, uh, the United States and the, the major world powers have uh, a vast impact on our, our global climate, that I believe that um, there is karma in this and that, and that um, this happened for a reason. And it's maybe something that we can't understand. But, uh, and of course, we should always act as compassionately as possible and do everything that we can to ease the suffering. But I think, I think there is a place of, of peace that we can access um, that has this wisdom that, that whatever is happening is happening for a reason, whether we can understand it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that collectively, nations as entities, people as individuals, the world as a, as a unit has karma, has individual and collective karma. And whatever is happening to Burma, um, as horrible as it is, is happening for a reason. Um, and as, as living beings... We have to suffer. Suffering is integral in life. It's the only way that we can transform. So I would just, um, I don't know, try to look at it in that sort of light. Mm-hmm. I hope that doesn't sound callous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, equanimity is certainly one of the keys in, in dealing with compassion and, and suffering. Um, and it's also it's interesting or something to know that... Um, Uh, in uh, in in Buddhist uh, teachings, not everything is attributable to karma, and one of the things that isn't is natural disasters. Just so you can be, it can be a, a um, an easy or an understandable movement of oh okay well that's so-and-so's karma to, uh, to experience that. I think on one level, there is, uh, the planet is going through its own purification and karma. And from our perspective, it seems, oh no, how could this happen to all these human beings? But there's, there's perhaps another unfolding happening that, that is beyond our understanding. But karma, as far as natural disasters, is uh, natural disasters and accidents are other than this happened because this because this person did this. Just an interesting sidelight. And I think you're absolutely right on as far as equanimity as a key to holding all of this because that's what's happening. So equanimity is saying, oh, it's like this. Okay. Um, yeah. Any any others? Any other comments? Yeah, sure. By that same token, uh, that principle: one death is a tragedy, a million is a statistic. Oddly enough, that's a quote from Joseph Stalin. Do I, I couldn't hear that. That's a quote from Joseph Stalin. Uh-huh. Who probably understood that principle more than anybody. Uh, but the point is, the I heard the quote, I think it's from Eli Weasel, uh, Holocaust survivor. Mm-hmm. And he uh, said, the opposite of love is not hate, it is indifference. And so the great enemy is 
actually enemies is or I won't say block it is indifference because if you can't have uh, equanimity before indifference or you know after indifference you can't have equanimity if you, after indifference after indifference you you have to feel the pain the path of pain so to speak so right thank you so we have to we it's a balance to feel the pain and not be engulfed by it that your mm -hmm. original questions thank you yeah and and the near enemy of equanimity is indifference it looks like equanimity but it's very different there's a there's a kind of distancing and so partly the first step is uh, you have to feel you have to feel it if you don't then you're you're cutting yourself off from from what's here and that's uh, that is a, a big price to pay not that you have to feel it in a certain way but just to know that um, the more you're in touch with your feelings the more the possibility of your heart staying open to all the wholesome feelings as well because otherwise you, you cut yourself off there's so many feelings that you probably that I could see in myself you know, there's heartbreak there's caring there can be distraction or denial like oh who wants to go there and uh, I've got other things to focus on there's fear of being overwhelmed if I really let it in I don't know if I could handle it there's courage perhaps to, to face it there's connection so many different things and there's the awareness that is witnessing all of that but the first step is when you're in suffering because of something that you hear in the news or something much closer at hand um, that you have to feel it and when you do you get in touch with compassion or it's possible to get in touch with compassion saying wow this hurts wow this is this is a bitch and this is part of being human and I wanted to share a few things about compassion um, that I, I found very interesting because compassion as I've said before is a, a divine a sublime state it feel compassion feels really good when you're not overwhelmed by it why because it's the caring heart that is responding to that suffering it's a place in us that can really feel that connection and care and we're wired up for it we're wired up for compassion wanted to share a few interesting studies from greater good magazine that I've mentioned I mentioned the magazine before I don't think I've mentioned these studies mm -hmm. no. yes. um, an experiment when mothers looked at pictures of their babies they not only reported feeling more compassionate love but they demonstrated a unique activity in a region of their brains associated with positive emotions okay that makes sense 
However, when subjects, not parents, contemplated harm being done to others, a similar network of regions in their brains lit up. Similar neurological reactions get evoked, and that suggests that compassion isn't simply a fickle or a rational emotion, but rather an innate human response embedded in the folds of our brain. Check out this study. Participants were given the chance to help someone else while their brain activity was recorded. Helping others triggered activity in the, in the caudate nucleus and anterior cingulate portions of the brain that turn on when people receive rewards or experience pleasures. A rather remarkable finding, helping others brings the same pleasure we get from the gratification of personal desires. Also, the autonomic nervous system, which is involved in fight-or-flight response, when there's compassion, it gets turned off. When young children and adults feel compassion for others, their heart rate goes down from baseline levels, which prepares them to not fight or flee, but to approach and soothe. So compassion shuts down that response, and it even overrides fear when people are in danger and there's a compassionate response. We are willing to put ourselves in harm's way because it's stronger, that is stronger than the fear response. Oxytocin is also um, excreted and or is produced with compassion. Oxytocin is what forms bonds between people when you hug somebody or when there's a, when your breasts when a woman is breastfeeding oxytocin is just kind of shooting all through them wow i just love this being how good okay when there's compassionate love okay warm uh, their bodies produce more oxytocin um, warm smiles friendly hand gestures alternate affirmative forward leans, those things that, that elicit a compassion love. Uh, and it's self-perpetuating. Being compassionate causes a chemical reaction in the body that motivates us to be even more compassionate because it feels good. A couple of other interesting ones. Mm. Mm. This is... I was just mentioning before this study. One study had participants watch another person receive shocks when he failed a memory task. Then they, this is the, the, the other person was in on the study, right? Then they were asked to take shocks on behalf of the participant who they were told had experienced a shock trauma as a child. Those participants who had reported that they felt compassion for the other individual, volunteered to take several shocks for that person even when they were free to leave the experiment. So compassion overwhelms selfish concerns and motivates altruistic behavior. <clears throat> compassion also, by the way, is more one of the positive emotions that are less determined by DNA. Positive emotions are less determined by DNA, that what we inherit, than negative emotions. 
and there's more plasticity. You can develop compassion. It's not like, oh, well, my parents weren't compassionate, so I'm kind of stuck the way I am. That you can actually develop that, and it changes your brain structure. It, the positive emotions are much more plastic. Uh, there's much more plasticity in, in the brain. A couple of other ones that were quite extraordinary. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Let's see. These are the bystander experiments. Okay. Mm. We are very susceptible to the compassion of people around us. So if you see somebody do a, uh, a compassionate act, um, say, going out and helping a neighbor, there's something, it's called elevation, that you're uplifted by and starts to, to awaken that compassion in you. You feel really good. This guy, Jonathan Haidt, uh, studied, H-A-I-D-T, uh, studied uh, this quality of elevation, and now it's, it's, a, it's, it's a standard kind of a, uh, a phenomenon to explore. So your compassion has an effect on others. Here's a couple of bystander studies on this. Mm. In one study, college students sat in a cubicle and were instructed to talk with fellow students through an intercom. They were told they would be speaking with one, two, or five other students, and only one person could use the intercom at a time. There was actually only one person in the study, a confederate, that is someone working with the researchers. Early in the study, the confederate mentioned that he sometimes suffered from seizures. The next time he spoke, he became increasingly loud and incoherent. He pretended to choke and gasp. Before falling silent, he stammered, if someone could help me out, it would be really good. Uh, I, I think I'm having um, uh, one of those seizures, and etc., etc. 85% of the participants who were in the two-person situation and believed they were the only witness to the victim's seizure left their cubicle to help. In contrast, only 62% who thought they were in a three-person situation left, and when they were thought that they were in a six-person situation, 31% left. One more. Participants were asked to fill out questionnaires in a lab room, and after the participants had gotten to work, smoke filtered into the room, a clear signal of danger. When participants were alone, 75% of them left the room and reported the smoke to the experimenter. With three participants in the room, only 38% left to report the smoke. And quite remarkably, when a participant was joined by two Confederates, instructed not to show any concern, they said, no, 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 it's okay, don't worry about it. Only 10% of the participants reported the smoke to the experimenter. So. Our own compassion is contagious, and our own lack of compassion, guess what, is also contagious. That's a good motivator to kind of uh, get in touch with your, with your feelings. Mm. So, 
As Thich Nhat Hanh says, um, compassion is a verb. It's very much like that uh, Angie Aryan. Action absorbs anxiety. Compassion is a verb. And if we just are feeling the overwhelm without being able to hold it with some equanimity and without being able to do something, if we're overwhelmed and can't do something about it, it upsets the system. So like Diana doing some compassionate action, expressing your caring in some way or another um, is a source of relief and, uh, and well-being. How to hold it, though, how to hold, besides moving into action, how do you hold it all with the enormity of it in your wisest moments? So there you are reading it, reading 100,000 people dying, besides which the, all the people who are without water and food, that's, that's where the real... Uh, second tier of suffering can be. How do you hold that? I just want to invite you once again, go inside, and in your wisest moments, something that was mentioned was, okay, seeing that things happen for a reason. Say somebody came to you and said, this is just too much. What do I do? What might you tell them? What might you do? Okay, I'd like actually I'd like you to take a, a few minutes with each other just to uh, see what comes through your own wisdom or your own sorting out. You can do it in twos or threes. Let's take some time and just see how you might hold all of this. What's the wisest way to explore it? Okay, and I'll, we'll take about uh, oh seven or eight minutes for it, and then we'll come back.
Okay, just another minute or so. Okay, you can thank your partners. And uh, let's come on back together. Okay, now um, just take a moment and uh, go inside and notice how you're feeling right now. Notice if you feel any different than before you had your little conversation. What is it that you're actually feeling right now? So how many how many people notice any difference from before they started talking? What do you notice? What's the difference? You feel a connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you were you were talking about the difficult stuff, but you feel a connection, and you feel. And a warmth, and there's a, a connection and a, a warmth around it, around all that pain. It, that's interesting. Yeah. Here, where's the, uh, where's the, yeah. sorry. I didn't know how affected I was by this because I basically live in my head, but... Um, <laughs> I was really affected by the thing you said about the anonymous donor matching what we give. And I, I experienced very vividly how that person's generosity made me feel good and generous myself and enhanced how, you know, it enhanced my generosity and what I could give. And I found myself saying, well, I can give this but it's really twice that. And, and that was a wonderful gift this person gave to me, and he gave that to every one of us. And that, that seemed pretty powerful to me. 
Beautiful. Elevation. Just, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. What else? Anything you notice about that exchange? Anyone who hasn't shared? Let's see. I thought we um, had a pretty interesting conversation here, and um, all kind of having different stages of it, and um, you know, dealing with it on a personal level, and then um, trying to you know figure out how maybe our first reaction can often be to disconnect, mm-hmm. you know, and that it's just automatic, and that it actually takes developing the compassion and to let go and, and not have the fear mm-hmm. that blocks it, the mm-hmm. developing of compassion. And um, I think something that we came about to together is that, wow, it's so much better to do it in a sangha. Right. You know, like right. my heart feels like it can bear it more here. Mm-hmm. I think what the first person had said here. And um, and I found myself having a lot more compassion for the people I was talking to even. Mm-hmm. I right. was like, wow, yeah. You know, I, I, and I couldn't exclude myself. I couldn't say I have the same answer as you and I, mm-hmm. I have the same struggle as you. I mean, I mean I, that's actually what I could say. I could really, mm-hmm. I, my compassion grew because I was being asked to develop it, and um, right. and it's cool to be able to make that conscious decision and realize that I have Thank you. an ability to do that. Yeah, we we need each other. That's what it comes down to. You know, the, the refuge in the sangha isn't just a you know a nice line and oh yes, and the Buddha said this and all, all of that. We need each other, and the mysterious thing is as painful as. It is, as Michael was saying, that connection allows us to hold it. You know, that's why therapists have people coming and saying, could I please talk to you about something? But you don't need a therapist. You just need to be present for it. We just need to be present for each other. That's a start. And not even fix or take anything away you know, if somebody is saying, oh, I feel so terrible for your pain, and oh, what can we do about it? Oh, this is so awful. You know, no thanks. Okay, they, then you got to take care of them, right? <laughs> but if somebody is there saying, wow, this is really hard, isn't it? What do you do? I don't know. It sure is good to talk with you about it. It's like there's a healing in that space. You're not going to take away the pain. You don't even, that's not the point, to take away the pain or to pretend it's not there. It just allows us to to feel it without being overwhelmed because we're not alone. That compassion and all the feeling, all that caring that we feel, it needs space. And one way to get space is connection with others. So we're not holding it in in our small space. There's a wider space. Oh, and there's a whole community that can hold it. That helps. There's a whole country that can hold it. Or there's a whole world that's holding it. The millions and millions of people around the world that are caring right now along with you and me. Ah, yeah. I'm not in this alone. And another way to get space is that equanimity 
practice that's not saying, oh, well, you know, it's just the way it is. But yeah, this is hard, and it's like this, and it's part of life. And when you're too close and you're feeling overwhelmed, that might be a time to get a little bit of space, just enough space that you're not overwhelmed and see, wow, world systems come and go. Gee whiz, the humans come and go. We think it's our own particular awful drama. How could this happen to the people of Burma? Which is absolutely true. But it's also happened to all the animals in Burma and all the, all the life forms in, in Burma. And it's happening all the time, all the, all the life forms around us. Here in Berkeley, when you, when you change an ecosystem in your house, you know, that's a, that is a cyclone to whatever beings are you're, that, that, you're, that you're dealing with. This is part of life. And it's not to diminish it. It's not to take away that kind of pain. It's just to hold it in a much bigger space. Because that allows us not only to not be overwhelmed, but to access that caring inside. So that, because the caring is, is the source of real joy. Oh, isn't it, isn't it amazing that you care? That you care in the first place. How wonderful it is that you care. And to choose, I better not care because I don't want to go there. If that's your only strategy, that's limited. But if it's, whoa, I'm caring so much, it's, it's going to be too much, I just need a little bit of a break so I can get in touch with that place where the heart is tender and poignant, whether it's talking with people or having some, a bigger picture or putting yourself in action, whether it's donation or through somebody who cares, who needs your, your care right nearby, you need to digest and process all of that, all of those feelings, and know that um, it's part of the curriculum. So, know that we're all with you this week as we process all of this, and uh, no getting around it. We just care. So we'll close with a loving kindness, and I know it's a bit over time; it'll just be short. But just think of those. People and animals and creatures in Burma and the fact that you care about them and the same for people who are suffering and animals that are suffering around the world. I care. And also think of all the people who, like you, care and all of the people who are trying to do what they can to relieve that suffering. How wonderful. How amazing. May all beings get in touch with their compassion. May all 
hold their compassion with spaciousness and equanimity. May all open to the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. And may all see their true nature underneath both of those. May our coming together be of benefit to the people in Burma, the creatures in Burma, and all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.